presence of God never gets old. Just love it. He's in here in like a, a really sweet, sweet way today. Oh, thank you, Lord. All right, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4. And I'll tell you what, man, I've found some gold in Ephesians, and it's really um, changing my life, changing the way I see stuff see things. We're coming to a transition chapter tonight where Paul begins to change his language to address the people directly. Um, And sometimes when Paul does this, um, we like it when Paul talks about the high lofty things of God and the high lofty things that God has placed upon us, uh, how he's made us uh, kings and priests, and he's, how God's grace has brought us Gentiles that were once far off and brought us near, that he's made us into this kind of uh, royal priesthood, that Ephesians 3.10 would say it's something like this, that the church exists to be the... Uh, to be the testimony of the manifold wisdom of God, that we are God's workmanship. In other words, we are his artwork, we're his masterpiece, the Greek word poema, which would mean we are God's poem in the earth, we are God's story, we are God's body in the earth, and that the middle wall of separation has been brought down and there's no longer Jew or Gentile or slave or free or Jew or Greek, but we're all one in Jesus Love it when he talks that way. Chapter 4, he changes the language and says, Since God has done this for us, and God has done this in us, and God has done this between us, how then ought we to walk? So in other words, it would be like this. If you're saved, raise your hand. I need to do altar call in here. (laughs) My God. (laughs) It's Wednesday Bible study and half the people say. (laughs) How many saved? Okay. Even if you're lying, just lie to me. (laughs) And so Paul would then say, okay, act like it. So he sets up the first three chapters by talking about how incredible God is, how wonderful he is, everything that he's done, what Jesus has done. It's not of yourself or anything like that. And then in chapter 4, 5, and 6, he says, here's what it looks like in real life. Because sometimes we get this idea that we think like the biggest, loftiest thing that we could do for God is like a Billy Graham crusade. And, like, that's the really God's work. But how I treat somebody in the line at Walmart is not God's work. Right? So what Paul is saying is, like, those big lofty things up here that Jesus is talking about, okay, that's supposed to affect even the most minuscule amount of things. And so he addresses things like, how does that affect your money and your generosity? How does that affect the relationship that you have with 
a brother that you might have ought against or have something against? How does that affect your everyday relationship? In chapter 5, he talks about here's how to be a husband and wife together in relation to everything that God has done for us, in us, and between us. So he's addressing, he's bringing all these high lofty topics of how God is way up here and he's got this huge destiny and he says, but don't miss the bigger picture that there's no small moments in life. That every single moment, every single relationship, every single thing counts. And all of that great things God has done, there's no little moments in your life. It all needs to come to bear in you. So what Paul does is this. He basically says, you're God's kids. God has his hand on you, has a call on your life. He has a destiny on you. He's already removed every hindrance that would stop you or give you an excuse to not do the right thing. He's already did all that. So now, do it. And that seems to be the place to where I'm like, all right, Paul. You know, let's go back to the high lofty doctrine. Right? Because it feels good to know things, right? It's harder to live them out. Right? But if our, our minds don't get renewed and we don't learn something, how are they ever going to get out? Right? So it's like we learn these things, we see what God's saying, but we can't let it just bottleneck right here. And be convinced that because we know it, we're walking in it. Right? So we have to let this thing drop about 14 inches from here to here <laughs> and become the center of our lives and really start walking and acting in these ways that, that God would have us to walk. So the reason why Paul paints a big picture of how important you are is so that you won't underestimate your life and you'll take that importance, you'll take that calling, you'll take that position that he's placed you in and you'll apply it to everyday life. You'll apply it to every little moment. That's his hope. Now, will you fail on that? Well, of course you will. But that doesn't give you an excuse to repeat the failure. You repent of it, and you get back up and you keep trying. There was a, a study that is actually a teacher. She didn't even have her certificate yet. Uh, but they were so desperate for teachers. Her name was Crystal Jones. And they threw her in the middle of this tough environment where they couldn't find teachers. And so she had first graders, and she was supposed to teach them, you know, basic basic things some of the first graders didn't even know their ABCs some of the first graders couldn't even hold a pencil some of them could do some sight words so, so she had all these people in different lanes and so she was just beside herself how in the world can I get these how am I going to teach these students they're all at different places they're all at what, what are we going to do so when she was out on the playground she noticed that these first graders loved to imitate the ones they were on the playground with, which were third graders. So they loved to imitate the third graders, and so she said, wait a second. So with me, I'm so removed and adult, I might as well be an alien. So I'm not going to be able to really be a model that they'll understand and strive for. But they're looking to these third graders, and what is a third grader? Well, it's a first grader, but just faster, a little bit smarter, something that they feel achievable. So she took that into the classroom, and she said, all right, students, today we're changing 
You're, this is no longer first grade. This is third grade class. And we're going to learn how to be a third grader. So she didn't drop the bar. And that's what the church always does. We drop the bar to try so more people can hurdle it. But here's the problem. If we drop the bar just so more people can hurdle it, here's what's happening. You're going to operate in your own strength, and you're not going to know the supernatural power that God's put into you to attain to the things that he's called you to. So she just said, we're going to call this third grade. And from now on, every student, we're going to call them scholar such and such. So she did this, and at about October, Thanksgiving, uh, in that region, they had started owning it. And they had started, and she, by the end of the year, every first grader was reading at a third grade level. And they had all started. The only thing she did was speak into them their potential and to tell them what was really possible through the grace and the power and the image of God that was in them. And they embraced it and they stepped up to the standard that was given to them. See, here's the thing. You don't know what's on the inside of you. But God does. So if you'll start trusting what God says about you and not what you feel about yourself, you'll start to walk in a way that's above what you even thought was even possible. And so this is what Paul's doing. He spent the first three chapters painting this huge, awesome picture so that it would bleed into the fabric of their everyday life and they might actually believe they were that. He says, you know what? You Gentiles who are way off, you ain't way off no more. You're sons and daughters of the Most High King. Oh yeah, your sin? Yeah, that ain't what... God done, he already dealt with that. And you're not saved or brought close because of your behavior. You're saved and brought close because of what Jesus did on the cross. What's your next excuse of why you're not living this thing? So his three chapters are to paint a picture of identity. Because as soon as those first stagers started identifying themselves as third graders, they started acting like it. So the reason why Paul is saying, Act like who you are in God is so that if you'll tell yourself enough, no matter how much you don't feel it, <laughs> if you'll begin to press into it, ask God to give you the grace for it, you'll start believing it. And you'll start walking like a child of God. You'll start acting like a king and a priest. You'll start acting like a conduit of his glory. And when you do that, everywhere you're at, that's where church is. Right? So church kind of becomes a filling station so that I could then go pour out because I am the church. I am the conduit. And so now everywhere I'm at becomes a moment for me to glorify God in a small act of kindness in whatever it might be. There's a hundred different ways it could, it could pour out. But if I don't identify and I don't put my identity in that place, I'll never actually begin to try to live and walk in that thing. And so that's what Paul is doing here. He's removing every excuse. And you, can't, you can't use the excuse you're a Gentile anymore and you didn't know about the things of God. Okay? If you're saved, you got the Holy Spirit in you. 
That means God's in you. (laughs) That means no more excuses. (laughs) Right? Because if I live in the light of an excuse to make up the difference for my behavior, I'll always walk in that behavior. Because I'll always go back on that excuse. Jesus says, you're new creations. I'm not going to treat you like an old one. I'm going to speak high and lofty things to you because that's your capability and that's who you are now. That you are the place I've chosen to dwell. What excuse is going to stand in the light of God was inside of me? What attitude am I carrying? Am I going to stand before God and say, well, God, you know, I had this or that happen. And he's going to have those nail-scarred hands and be like, really? Hmm. You mean something happened to you that you didn't deserve? Hmm. Wow. Isn't that something? That God is robbing us from any excuse to not be good workers on the job. He talks about it here. (laughs) From being good husbands and wives at home. From being good church members. (laughs) He just robs us from all those excuses. Because he's already done it. He's already laid the groundwork. And he's deposited inside of you his own nature. Now, is it a process to get outside of that? Sure it is. But that's part of the journey. It's part of the fun. It's part of the unfolding that through relationship with him we get to, we get to walk out. So let's, let's, just, let's just dive in here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner... For the Lord. So here he is. Paul's writing this from prison. right? It's kind of funny. Paul is encouraging free people from prison. How they ought to live. I'm sorry, but if you're in prison, that'd be a pretty good excuse to act like those around you. Right? Paul never appeals to that. Paul just goes on and just says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you, to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. What was the calling from which we had been called? Well, that's in the first three chapters. Verse 2, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, I love how the NET puts it, putting up with one another in love. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Putting up with one another uh, in love. (laughs) Check this out. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice it doesn't say make every effort to keep the unity of doctrine. I want you all to believe the same. I want you to walk in a unity of oneness that would reflect the glory of God and how God is one. When he gets into that here in a little bit, we'll we'll read about that. 
So our job as the people of God is to reflect the nature and character of God. So what would that be? Well, with all humility and gentleness and patience, put up with one another. Has God put up with you? Oh, okay. That's fine. A couple, couple honest people here. I, yeah, I would say yes, he's put up with you guys for sure. <laughs> for sure. Right? He's put up with all of us. So the way God puts up with us, guess what? Pass that on over to your brother or sister and put up with some of their junk. Yeah. So everything that's in God, Paul is saying, needs to go down in your life and in your circle and in your influence and how you walk. Does that make sense? So if it's in God, it needs to be in me. And if it's in me, needs to come out of me into my relationships so to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace verse 4 there is one body say the one here he's, he's bringing us to unity one body one spirit just as you were called to the one hope of your calling verse 5 one Lord one faith do you see the ones here one baptism, one God, Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. Hmm. So Paul's math is like this. One plus one plus one plus one equals one. That is, Father is one with the Son is one with the Holy Spirit is one. Oh, they're three. No. They're one. But they're different. Yeah. But they're one. So God in the character and person of who he is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the Trinitarian dynamic shows us how to be different and be one. That the Son submits to the Father. Because man, I don't do nothing that the Father hadn't shown. I don't do anything. I don't say anything unless I saw him do it. Right? Holy Spirit says, I don't speak of myself. I just exalt the Son. See what I'm saying? So they're all equal parts, but all in submission to each other. And as later Paul talks, this should break down in the relationships that we have. In the body of Christ, is there more important pieces than others? See, some of y'all couldn't even say yeah there. I'm going to tell you. Pastor is not the most important piece of a church. I am no more important than anybody else in this room. Because we're all one. In him. I might have a more visible gifting where I'm in front of people. But that doesn't, God doesn't say, oh wow, look how visible this gifting is. How That's impressive. Because I could be acting out real good here. And be acting out at home a whole other kind of way. And you guys, honestly, some of you might discern it out, but some of you would never know. That God cares more about who we actually are than, than who we are in our gifting. Trust me, I've been on the bench. <laughs> I know what it is to sit in the pew and wonder if you're going to get a shot at doing what God's called you to do. Did it for 10 years. Yeah. But it was during that time where I learned the importance 
of who I actually was. And I got to deal with some things that God would raise up. I got to deal with some jealousy when I would see somebody else begin to walk in their stuff. I got passed over and somebody else got picked and all that come up. And I, oh, well, I'm better than they are. I'm more gifted than they are. Now they're getting here. I had to repent of that stuff. So that when my time came, you see what I'm saying? That that was way more formative than this will ever be for me. See what I'm saying? That's where I learned to put everything at his feet and say, God, you'll, you'll, fit, you'll do it. I just, I just want to grab it so bad and make it happen. No, can't. Because if you don't do it, I'll think I did it. And if I think I did it, I'll bail out whenever it gets tough. So God, you do it. Yeah. So there's no, there's no places off limits for God. There's no insignificant moments. Never. It's all formative. It's all God trying to shape you, show you who he is. So just let him. If he brings it up, man, repent of that thing. Get back on the horse. Don't give up. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One plus one plus one plus one equals one. In God's math. Paul's math. Verse 7. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay, so to each one of us, grace was giving according to the measure of your gift. Grace was given us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So again, Paul's getting this outside of ourself. So who do you think gave you that? And to what measure have you decided that you're at or not at? No, Christ gave you that. It's to the measure and the stature of Christ. Verse 8, therefore it says, and he uses Psalm 68 here, when he ascended on high, he captured captives and he gave gifts to men. Okay, here's what I want us to do real quick. I want us to look at Psalm 68. Now, he's using Psalm 68, verse 18. And y'all tell me if y'all notice something different. You only get this on Wednesday Bible study. You guys are getting the exclusive. You guys are getting the, um, yeah. Y'all tell me what, when you get there. Tim's almost there. 68, 18. Did you read it, Tim? You get there. When you ascended to the heights, you led a crowd of captives. You received gifts from the people. Okay, right there. Did y'all hear it? Now, what did Ephesians say? When he ascended 
On high, he captured captives. He gave gifts to people. And what did Psalm 68, 18 say? He got gifts from men. <laughs> Paul took some liberty there, didn't he? Took a little liberty. So you guys are getting the... Is everybody a little nervous here? Did Paul mess up? You know what Paul did there? He interpreted the Old Testament through what Jesus did. You know what I'm saying? So David, who wrote Psalm 68, wrote that psalm about Moses going up to the mountain of Sinai and he descended and he took the law but he came down couldn't pass the law because nobody could fulfill it. So all Moses could do was hope the people would be obedient and that he would receive those things. Jesus, the new Moses, the better Moses, the greater Moses, goes up and ascends into heaven, takes the spoils from Satan, death, hell, goes, gives the Spirit of God, and takes gifts, and then passes them out to his people. That Paul is fast-forwarding and saying, here's what a good king does. A good king takes the spoils from the wicked one, and then he hands it out to his people so that they could walk in those same riches. So God didn't ascend to heaven and ask you for something that you don't have. Because what could you give to Jesus anyway that he doesn't already have? But God is so good that when he ascends and gets the treasure, man, he disperses it out. <laughs> so he says things like, oh, you're joint heirs with Christ. God's so good, man, he's just throwing stuff everywhere, right? Parable of the word of God is like seed. I'm thinking, man, God, why would you sow seed in a path? You ever seen a farmer do that? It's like, God, you're a bad farmer. <laughs> why would you put a seed on a rock? He got that much, and he's that good. And if he hadn't put it on a rock, or if he hadn't threw a pearl to a swine, how would we have gotten one? Right? We read that. Well, I'm not putting my pearls before swines. How'd you get one? <laughs> At some point, you was a swine and somebody gave you a pearl, man. You just didn't sell it and trample it. You did something with it. So Paul's here has got a revelation of God's goodness that goes beyond what David saw. God takes the plunders 
and doesn't ask men for things. He takes the plunders and gives gifts to men. Yeah. So the greater Moses, Jesus has switched it all up. Again, Paul's point, you've got no excuse. He's given you all things pertaining to godliness. He's given you everything you need to do it, to complete the task he's put before you. Quit believing the lie you're not equipped. And if you're not equipped, get in a crowd of people that are equipping folks and get equipped. And get in a unity of spirit and quit getting your feelings hurt and this and that and the other happening, keeping you from being equipped. Let somebody tell you no sometime. And be okay with it. That's where we really find out where we're at. Get told no. What do you do when you're told no? Because I've found the only way I can really receive God as God is when he crosses my will and asks me to do something I don't want to do. That's when I really know if he's God or not in my life. And that's what Paul's getting out. Man, Christ has went up the spiritual Zion into the heavens. He's plundered Satan down in the earth. He went up into heaven and then sends down the Holy Spirit to fill everybody so that they can be equipped with the same gifts that Jesus had. Because all the gifts were in Jesus. He had all the gifts. He had teacher, apostle, all of that was in him. And when he came into heaven and ascended and gave the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit then started distributing that out. So it wouldn't all be contained within Jesus in one person, but now everybody has a part to play to be the life of Jesus in the earth. Where Jesus says, man, if you give somebody a cup of water, let's go. You're doing it. Paul says, whether I eat or drink, let it be unto the glory of God. <laughs> When's the last time you grabbed a Taco Bell taco and ate that thing to the glory of God? <laughs> God says if you're thankful while you're doing it, it counts. <laughs> There's no small moments. So when you get that chalupa, Adam, you look like a chalupa guy. <laughs> Soft taco guy. Well, get out of that dollar menu and get in that chalupa. Get that double-decker deal. And... Eat it unto the glory of God. It counts. Well, God don't care about that. Yeah, he does. You're his kid. Matter of fact, I get a spoon and I'll feed my kid every bite if they keep eating it. It counts. It's how you grow. It's like I had a coach that would say, quit taking plays off to rest. Take a playoff, somebody's going to score on you. You can't take a playoff in life. Oh, well, I'm not going to be a Christian today. I'm in bad mood. Well, great. That's the time when the person that you're supposed to meet in the crossroads of destiny was going to hear the gospel, and, well, you just didn't. And God will forgive you for it, and ain't going to keep you living guilty about it. But I'm just telling you, stuff counts. How are you on your job? Man, that counts. 
don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're sweeping a floor or cleaning a toilet. Man, it counts. It counts. So let it count. Own it. Man, I'm doing this into the glory of God. And if nobody else sees, he sees. And what I do in secret, I'll get rewarded publicly and openly. So I'm going to keep it up privately. And then when the time comes, God will do what he's got to do and get it out. It's kind of like that scripture, Revelation, I think it's a Revelation 4, where all the elders get up and they start casting crowns at Jesus' feet. Oh, man. I got a question. What did that crown look like? <laughs> it's right glorious. And they put it at Jesus' feet. And why were they able to do that so freely? Because they knew it wasn't theirs. They didn't put it on themselves. And anything you put on yourself, you won't give that to God. Anything he puts on you, that's yours. And God's so good, we keep reading about the 24 elders throughout the book. When they cast their crowns, you know what I could see God doing? Picking those crowns up and just, putting, no, no, no. I gave that to you. No, that's yours. Oh, no, 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 this ain't mine. This is yours. No, this is yours. (laughs) So maybe for a million years in heaven, we're throwing crowns back and forth, trying to tell God, hey, you no, you keep it. And God's like, I can out-crown you, dude. You can't outlast me. (laughs) All right, fine. I'll wear it. (laughs) Might take us a million years to get the reality that he's made us worthy enough to wear a crown. But we'll have a million years to get it. I think that's why God says, hey, guess what? I'm giving you eternal life to take the pressure off because of the time clock that's ticking over us. That's good. Oh, you don't got it? Well, you got all eternity to figure it out with me. Oh, and guess what? I'm your teacher, and I'm your savior, and I'm your king, and I'm the all in all, so I'll help you. I'm your father. I'll help you through it. So take the time pressure off and say, oh, I got eternity. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. So if I've got forever with you, I'm going to start walking that way, God. And when I stumble, help me figure it out, get back up, and then we'll just keep keep pushing. Keep pushing. Because you might have people at different levels, but if we've all got eternity, I think we're all eventually going to get it. Yeah, I think we'll all eventually get it. Especially if we'll dig in and just really just give it all to him. Uh, Verse 9. Now what is the meaning of he ascended? Except that he also descended into the lower regions, namely the earth. So, a couple different thoughts here. This could mean at Jesus' death he descended into the place of the dead. That's one view. Another view is, this is talking about when Jesus became a child at what we'd call Christmas. Um, and that's when he became flesh in that moment. Or there's a, a third view that I lean towards that would say, when Jesus ascended, after he resurrected from the dead and for 40 days he taught, he ascended into heaven and then 
he sent the Holy Spirit and Pentecost and the church was born and things were dispersed, gifts and different things. The birth of the church. That's my view. Why? Well, he's fixing to talk about apostles, prophets. He's talking about gifts that God gave to men. Seems to make sense that that would fit more of the picture of Pentecost. But I could be wrong. Not a hill worth dying on. That's just my view for what it's worth. Verse 10, he, the very one who descended, also was the one who ascended above all the heavens in order to fill all things. Verse 11, and he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. So most of the time when Paul mentions the gifts, Romans, what is it, Romans 12? And then 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, or I'm not sure which one is in Romans. I might be wrong on that. But he does a list in Romans and he does a list in Corinthians. Here he doesn't list the gifts. He lifts the ones that bear the gifts. (laughs) So what he's explaining to the church is it's not just the giftedness. There's also a person that God has called to wear certain gifts. So there's apostles, which would, this would be like the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. These were, I don't know if this is a good example, but this is the way it was shown to me, and I feel like it works, okay? But like apostles, prophets, what is it, evangelists, Pastors, teachers. Um, somebody might have to help me with this thing that remembers. But the apostle in his gift operates in a way that he touches all of them. He provides leadership to all of them. Is that correct? The prophet is like finger in your face, right? The um, the middle finger, which I won't, I will not bless you with right now. It reaches the furthest because evangelist reaches out. Ring fingers, the covenant pastor, because he walks in covenant with people. And then the oh, this is the teacher that can get in every little space and figure things out. Is that here? Get a mic, Tim. Let's get this on the street. The way to look at it, too, is if you're holding a broom handle, like I'm holding this mic, you're, you've got your thumb, which is the, uh, the apostle, which sends forth, too. That's why he touches everything, because, yeah. you know, he sets an order and he sends forth. Then, of course, you know, the prophet points out. The prophet points away, but he also points out. They were always the error pointer. The middle finger is the longest, which is the evangelist, which is reaching for lost souls. The pastor is that ring finger, so there's that commitment. But if you hold something, and especially if it has any size to it, it takes good teaching to lock the grip. And so we have to have the pinky. We have to have the teaching. You know, if, if you're not getting sound teaching, then all the rest has been lost. So we need that, we need that pinky to come around and hold on for a good grip. And so, if, you know, if I had a broom, it'd make more sense. But 
if you go home tonight and try to hold your broom with a pinky out and you'll find that there's not as much of a grip. But when you have sound teaching, then it all fits. And you notice the apostle, like he said, touches all of it. The apostle is the one that sends out. He's the one that's, you know, sends out the missionary, the evangelist, the pastor. It's, it's the apostle that raised up the pastor to send out. He's the one that appointed the teacher to teach the class and all that. So it all applies. It's very important to understand that it just says right there, after all those five ministries, to equip the body. They're equi- He's not here to do the job. He's here to equip you so that we can all do the job. And that's how it works. That's awesome. So it seems, so it seems to me, that's something I never thought about. If I have a grip without any of these, I don't have the full, I can't hang on to anything. So apostles in this dispensation of time, I would say they're there, but they're probably not going to be writing books of the Bible. <laughs> okay. Like, like Paul did that. But there are people that have that mantle of sending missionaries, of overseeing large thing and placing leaders and just have that anointing in an apostle. So I, so I do believe there's little a apostles today. Um, but, pro, but if somebody's like, hey, I just wrote a new, picture, new Bible book, I'm like, oh, you're right, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, get out of here. Man, that was great, Tim. Thank you. Um, all right, well, let's, we'll wrap it up right here. Verse 12, to equip the saints. There, there it is. To equip the saints. To equip the saints. What does that mean? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is to build up the body of Christ. Until, here's when we should stop. You ready? <laughs> Until we attain all the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. A mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. So when should we stop? When we all look like Jesus. Sound like we got a long way to go. (laughs) Don't y'all be checking out on me, okay? (laughs) Woo! 14. So we are no longer children. No longer to be children. Tossed to and fro, back and forth by the waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. But practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ, who is the head. Oh, man. (laughs) Woo! You can't separate the head from the body, and you can't separate the body from the head. You just can't. Verse 16. From him... The whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament as each one does its part. The body builds itself up in love. So So why is this task crucial? Without it, believers are going to be led astray. It's just going to happen. Why is the apostle prophet evangelist, pastor, teacher, why is those things so important? Because without a community of a context, we'll fall for any old thing. You need some people in your life that can point their finger at you and say, I don't like what I'm seeing. 
And it might be an old bony finger, too, of a little snippet that you feel better than. But God might be manifesting the prophet Jesus inside of that person. And you better listen. Sometimes you're going to need the teacher to pull you aside and say, let's just get practical. And let's figure out how to do this thing. Sometimes you're going to need that evangelist because you're going to have some lost people in your life that you care about. And you're going to need that person with a gift that can just exude the sweet fragrance of God and pull them in. <laughs> be like a Becky Brewer, I would say. She just exudes the joy. I was like, I just want to be around you. Right? Tim's got the teaching gift, I think. Um, Doris is an evangelist working the streets. She says, Pastor, I'm only coming here. My ministry is in Walmart parking lot. I said, hey. She said, don't you put me in a class. Don't you. I'm out there. I said, that's an evangelist. Hmm. It's pretty cool. So what's your place in the fivefold? Not here. Other places. <laughs> it's like, well, y'all, I'm not keeping her from doing something at the church here. Just let's be clear. but she's where I'm not we're all extensions of each other because I guarantee you y'all don't want me going out acting a fool where you go like you, oh you got that crazy pastor who's always <laughs> I'm representing y'all and I'm not going to drop my guard when I go on vacation or when I'm on a cruise ship so you don't do that to me We don't do it to the head who we're reflecting anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man. This was great. Love you guys. Let's pray. Tim, pray, pray us out and do whatever you want to do. And none are excluded or left out. Help us, God, to be under leadership so we can be leaders. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.